Thanks for checking out the Good Morning Hamilton podcast. I'm Rick Samprin. We say hello to one of the newest members of Hamilton City Council. Forge FC looks for its third North Star Shield this Sunday. Meet the Hamilton Sports Hall of Fame's class of 2022. Did the PM stay at a $6,000 a night hotel room while attending the Queen's funeral? JFE Soji Power Canada powering through the pandemic. And window aisle or middle seat on a flight. The GMH podcast starts now. This is the Good Morning Hamilton podcast on 900 CHML. There's a lot of uh, new faces around the council table, as we knew there would be, uh, and that bodes well for uh, an exciting couple of years. I'm thrilled. Well, the voice you heard was mayor-elect here in Hamilton, Andrea Horvath, one of many new faces going to Hamilton City Hall to represent, uh, well, either from her perspective, the city as a whole, or their respective wards following Monday's municipal election. There's one person in particular that has a very interesting backstory. Her name is Tammy Huang, councillor-elect ward here in the city of Hamilton and joins us now on Good Morning Hamilton. Tammy, good morning. How are you? Good morning, Rick. Thank you so much for having me. And congratulations. How does it feel to be a councillor elect? <laughs> Honestly, it's still a little bit surreal. It's amazing because I've had a chance to chat with a lot of people and a lot of people have sent well wishes, but um, I think right now it's I'm still in that wrap-up of campaign mode. So until we uh, get into City Hall, I don't know when that'll feel really real. <laughs> when you first launched your campaign or even thought about running, what was going through your mind? I have been working for the City of Hamilton and in economic development. And I got to say, I love the economic development department, the economic development team. So for me, it was a really serious decision because... Um, with Councillor Marilla announcing his retirement, I just kind of felt like I know I have the skills, I know I have the experience, I know I have the connections, and I really love this city and I love this ward. So I'm going to put my name in to give it a shot and see how I do. And I'm happy to say that this has been the most gratifying and humbling experience I've ever had. Has uh, anyone on staff kind of joked around uh, intimating that you're now going to the dark side of the <laughs> equation at City Hall? <laughs> no one's saying the dark side, but it's <laughs> definitely, they have, uh, we have talked about it and joked around a lot about it, but it's, I've had so much support from my team and so much support from um, other departments, so it's been really wonderful. You mentioned Sam Arul, a longtime councillor in uh, Ward 4. It, it, do you feel pressure in continuing the, uh, the uh, momentum that he has had in that ward? Absolutely. Um, Councillor Marilla has done so much for our ward, and the fact is there's a lot that he's put into place that's starting to really come to fruition. So the Roxborough development, the Brock University development, LRT is coming forward. So there's a lot coming um, on the docket for Ward 4. In terms of your priorities, you have a, a wish list or a to-do list. I'm, I'm sure that you're kind of compiling and thinking about and mulling over to improve Ward 4. What's at the top of that list? What I've heard time and time again from our neighbors from the at the doors is traffic and traffic calming and how we're moving about the city. So the very first sort of thing I would like to explore is how do we do a traffic audit or some sort of complete streets type study in order to examine how um, 
what are some of the different ways we can move about, especially because we have LRT coming, Brock University is coming online, um, the Delta Secondary School development is also coming online, and residents are very worried about how they're moving about the city. They're also very concerned with speeding along residential streets. So this, I think, is going to be the first sort of 100 days I'd like to really explore how do we how do we get that going. So would this be through the lens of safety or, or doing so safely but getting people where they need to go? as quickly as possible? The latter. It's definitely all about safety because, as we know, we have suffered a lot when it comes to pedestrian collisions. We've suffered a lot when it comes to vehicle collisions. So there's absolutely a safety element to it, but it really is also a practical sense because we have so much um, disruption when it comes to construction and when it comes to all of these developments as well. So it has to be safety and practicality. Tammy Huang is our guest here on Good Morning Hamilton on 900 CHML. Councillor-elect Ward 4 here in the city of Hamilton, winning her seat in Monday's municipal election. Uh, I mentioned that you have an interesting backstory because, well, you do, uh, not only working uh, on, uh, you know, with the city's economic development department, but uh, you co-founded Commotion uh, down on King Street, uh, worked at the mm-hmm. Innovation Factory, uh, a YWCA woman of distinction. You've already had a lot of these achievements. What? How are you going to use this experience to uh, improve the livelihoods of everyone in Ward 4? I think that I have a lot of those uh, built-up community connections as well as um, really understanding where our city is going, working for economic development. You have that sort of insider's view as to what's coming down the pipe. So I'm super excited about our opportunity and the momentum that has been built. Uh, when it comes to my background, that I feel is going to be the most advantageous for our award because it means that I can hit the ground running. It also means that I can connect directly with the different organizations and groups quickly. And because I've built up those relationships, it's not like I'm introducing myself brand new to everyone. So I I believe that when it comes to uh, really supporting and advancing Ward 4, I think that with my background and my experience, that's I can make that happen. One of your main uh, priorities within ECDEV was attracting new investments to the city. Are there opportunities, not only in Hamilton, but in Ward 4, to attract those new investments? Absolutely. When we talk about the Main Street Corridor, so when we talk about, say, the LRT Corridor or maybe Kenilworth Street Corridor, there is significant opportunity to attract really cool small businesses as well as support the existing small businesses that are already there. So when it comes to some of my priorities, small business resiliency is going to be very high on my list because as a small business owner, I know it's tough. Small small businesses have just come out of a pandemic and now we're also going into more construction and more chaos. So this is where we need to support our small businesses the most. We've got about a minute. You are also, not only do we have a first ever female mayor in Hamilton, you're the first ever East Asian councillor. Does that mean anything to you? It does. I think about representation. I think about inclusion. I think about diversity. I also think about how we're now representing the changing face and demographic of the city. And with the leadership of, say, with Matthew Green and Councillor Nan um, really opening those doors, this is a particularly important time for us to speak up about inclusivity, diversity, uh, talk about how, how Hamilton is changing. Tammy, once again, congratulations. Thanks for the time today and uh, good luck in uh, the new job. 
Thank you, Rick. Thank you so much. That is Tammy Huang, uh, Counselor-Elect Ward 4, City of Hamilton. You're listening to the Good Morning Hamilton podcast from 900 CHML. This coming Sunday in Ottawa, it's Hamilton's Forge FC versus Atletico Ottawa in the Canadian Premier League Championship match. And for the fourth year in a row, Forge is vying for a championship trophy. One of the key people who will try to bring that hardware back to Hamilton is Forge FC defender Daniel Crutzen, who joins us now on Good Morning Hamilton. Daniel, good morning. How are you? Good morning. I'm good. How are you? I'm good. I was just telling our listeners that Kyle Becker, the captain of Forge, may not be able to play on Sunday because of his red card. If he can't go, how big of an impact is this going to be on your championship aspirations? Uh, yeah, of course, a, a big hit for uh, for our team. Um, he's obviously the the guy that makes our team tick, and uh, yeah, he has a a huge presence on the field. So of course, we're gonna miss him. Um, on the other hand, though, we have uh, we have plenty of guys that can uh, step in and uh, and take his role. Well, you're one of those two. From what I understand, you'll be wearing the captain's armband for Sunday's match. Is there some added pressure with that? Uh, no, it's just more excitement. I would say um, it's always nice to to lead your team into a final and. Uh, yeah, it's personally very exciting to, to be able to do that. It's got to be somewhat extra special because you weren't able to play in last year's CPL title match because of an ACL injury. Talk to us about the long road back to getting back on the pitch. Yeah, it was uh, it was tough, not only physically, but also mentally. Obviously, you go through lots of uh, ups and downs. Um, and obviously, missing that, that championship um, last year was a, was a big hit for me mentally. Uh, I was really looking forward to that one. Um, but yeah, once that happens, you just have to accept it, move on, and then try and get back as soon as possible. So I'm very, very grateful to uh, to play the final this year. Our guest on Good Morning Hamilton on 900 CHML is Forge FC defender Daniel Crutzen. Forge taking on Atletico Ottawa in Ottawa this Sunday at 6 p.m. in the Canadian Premier League, uh, Premier League Championship showdown. This is, from all intents and purposes, going to be a close match because Ottawa was at the top of the table. Forge was right behind in second place. Both teams have won a game against each other. You've tied twice. You haven't played each other since August 27th. What are you expecting on Sunday? Uh, just, a just a big game, you know, just a very exciting, um, for the, for the neutral spectator to watch, there's going to be lots of uh, people in the crowd, um, just lots of excitement. Uh, I hope a very good quality game, uh, very fun game to, to look at and made the best team win. Does experience amount to much in a championship game? I would say yes. Um, because I think if you, if you look at, um, championship teams that have, that have done it for multiple times in, in previous years. I think there's always that one or two moments in a game that the experience will will help you to um, to bring the the game to to your side, so to say. So I think uh, experience definitely uh, gives us a little bit of an advantage going into Sunday. Daniel, what's it going to take to bring another trophy back to Hamilton? There's a lot of trophy in the trophy case, but what's it going to take to take uh, take down Atletico on Sunday? Uh, it's going to take a lot of focus. I think we need to uh, we need to be able to to stay focused for the full ninety minutes, and we have a, a good game plan. I think as long as we as we stick to that and we we stay focused for the entire game, I think uh, we'll, we're looking at a positive outcome. It's going to be a lot of fun to watch. I'm sure it's going to be a tremendous amount of fun to play in. Daniel, best of luck on Sunday, and uh, hopefully we'll be bringing a trophy back home to Hamilton. Thanks for the time.
Thank you so much. Daniel Crutzen, Defender Forge FC, as the Hammers take on Atletico Ottawa this Sunday at 6 p.m. TD Play Stadium in the nation's capital. Forge FC looking for their third ever CPL championship trophy. Uh, Atletico was last in the league last year, finished first at the top of the table this time around, and they're hosting the final. What a turnaround that has been. Uh, Forge losing last year's CPL final, so they are seeking some redemption. And as I mentioned before, another trophy in their bulging trophy case. You're listening to the Good Morning Hamilton podcast from 900 CHML. Everyone has been asking me after reading about your induction into the Hamilton Sports Hall of Fame, how did you get the nickname Dirty 30? It was my father kind of said... After a game in Hamilton where it got a little rough, he said, you guys sure played dirty tonight, 30. (laughs) And I said, dirty 30, I can do something with that. I took it to Jim Taylor, a sports writer in B.C., and he he did a column there. And then later we did the book entitled that. (laughs) Well, it's a great nickname, one of the best all-time in the Canadian Football League. You're members of numerous halls of fame. What does it mean to now be a member of the Hamilton Sports Hall of Fame? Well, being a Hamiltonian, it's it's very, very special because there was no Hall of Fame here, and it's special that there is one now. (laughs) (laughs) What is the highlight of your playing career? Among all the achievements you got, what would be at the top of the list? Oh, that's that's very difficult. I guess there were a couple of Shenley Awards that were... Mm -hmm. They were very nice to get. I was just talking to Russ Jackson. I One of them, I thanked him for retiring so I could <laughs> finally win. <Yeah. laughs> but it's nice to see him here. Mm-hmm. You were drafted in the National Football League right out, right out of Queens. What was that like? Well, I wasn't drafted by them. They approached me to sign me as a free agent. I, I was Toronto... Uh, property by the CFL draft and uh, I, I'd always wanted to play in Hamilton so uh, one thing that came down is kind of years years before I'd gone out to BC for a holiday and really liked BC and thought it would be a great place to go if I so, so once I got to to Minnesota, I let it be known that uh, BC was the only place I was interested in going back to. When you heard that Minnesota was going to trade you to the CFL and the BC situation came up, what was that process like in finally arriving back in the CFL and with the BC Lions? Well, it it worked out very well. Um, At first, they tried to do something with Joe Cap, but Joe Cap messed up his contract he still had a year an option year there and he signed he went and signed a contract in Houston while he was still under contract with the Lions so he could he couldn't go on it right away and then uh, with with that happening he got he got passed over by um, they go into a, a thing with other teams can pick up mm-hmm. players if if they're kind of let go or put on waivers so with him on waivers and the the, the uh, CFL teams knowing that 
he had tried to break his contract. Um, they worked it out, and Willie Fleming was a free agent by that time. And so he went on the trade, and then Joe followed a year later. But uh, it was interesting, <laughs> them being kind of the players in B.C., got involved in me getting there. You also went to Westdale High School. As you mentioned, a lot of great athletes coming out of that school. And you were a really good hockey player in your younger days. Why did hockey not work out and football did? I wasn't a good enough hockey player. <laughs> <laughs> that, that's, that's true. I was, I was a decent high school hockey player, but not, not, not the quality of hockey player that any team's looking for. <laughs> what, what drew you to football? Well, football is good because you get to... We had a coach in Minnesota say, you guys are the luckiest guys in the world. You get to do on Sunday afternoon what everybody gets thrown in jail for doing Saturday night. <laughs> <laughs> so it was... He was a, a former player, but he tried to get people to broad jump into the wedge on a kickoff. <laughs> he said, no better way of breaking up a wedge than broad jumping into yeah. it. Get your cleats up there, and they'll be hitting the turf. <laughs> you always wanted to uh, play in Hamilton, and obviously you had a tremendous yeah. career, a Hall of Fame career. Uh, maybe some memories about the Ticats growing up. I know you went to a bunch of games. Yeah, I did. I I, I kind of watched them through very, very good years mm -hmm. of them winning. and uh, My dad was a big Ticat fan. We listened to it on the radio for many years. And then my aunt and uncle got a TV set. We ended up going watching it on TV. So uh, in Queens, my aunt and uncle and my dad would drive up to all the all the games, except for in Montreal. They didn't go. They didn't <laughs> drive to Montreal. They went to Kingston, or they went to London or Toronto. Amazing memories, uh, an illustrious career, and I really appreciate your time and discussing it with us today. Thank you. I had, had a good time coaching it, too. <laughs> <laughs> yes, very much so. Thank you, Jim. Yeah, bye. You're listening to the Good Morning Hamilton podcast from 900 CHML. We just could not resist here on Good Morning Hamilton on 900 CHML. Rick Samprin with you. Those were the the stylings, dare I say, of Prime Minister Justin Trudeau uh, in the days leading up to the funeral for Queen Elizabeth II, um, singing his heart out in a hotel piano bar. Uh, speaking of hotels, this is, uh, well, I was going to call it a head scratcher, but really it's not a surprise considering the wasteful spending that this government and many governments of years gone by have done from time to time. Still no word at this point, or at least at last check. As to which member of the Canadian delegation who attended the Queen's funeral last month stayed in a hotel that charges $6,000 a night. It was obviously, it had to be, the focus of some back and forth between Conservative leader Pierre Poiliev and Prime Minister Justin Trudeau in the House of Commons yesterday. Listen in. There's also the $400,000 trip to London, of which there was a $6,000 suite for one night. Just another example of the massive liberal waste that has contributed to the inflationary deficits we now face. 
So if he can't tell us which company got the money, can he at least tell us who got the $6,000 a night room? <laughs> the right honorable prime minister. Canadians know we had a large delegation, including a number of previous prime ministers and former uh, former governor generals uh, in uh, London for to interrupt the right honorable prime minister. The honorable leader of the opposition asked a question. I'm sure he wants to hear the answer. So I'm just going to ask everyone to calm down and so we can hear the answer. The Right Honourable Prime Minister, from the top, please. That's a lot of work. Mr. Speaker, uh, to mark the passing of Her Majesty Queen Elizabeth II, uh, Canada had a large delegation that went to uh, went to London to the funeral, including a number of former Prime Ministers and former Governors General. Uh, we stayed in the same hotel. Uh, Mr. Speaker, having a strong Canadian presence there as one of the top realm countries uh, was expected of us, and it was important to see all Canadians so well represented together uh, at uh, an at the funeral. So we didn't really get an answer as to who stayed in this costly hotel room, but one individual who has been following and has been writing about it is Brian Lilly, columnist with the Toronto Sun, and joins us now on Good Morning Hamilton. Brian, welcome back to the show. How are you? I'm doing well. Uh, it was uh, fun to hear all those ticklings uh, of, of the ivories, the vocal stylings of, uh, <laughs> of the Prime Minister. And the key line is the one you faded out on. Nothing really matters to me, he sang, and uh, that includes telling us who stayed in, in the hotel room. Though, you know, at this point, we we have a, a good guess. Tell you, Rick, I thought it was the Governor General when I first got these documents. Uh, we broke the story Monday. I'd received the documents as you often do from government late on a Friday afternoon. They they send you out something they don't want out there. Hope it lands in your inbox and you forget about it. I didn't forget about this one once I saw the six thousand dollar a night hotel room. And we broke the story Monday. We've been asking since who stayed in that room. Yesterday, the Governor General's office sent me a statement saying the Governor General did not stay at the Corinthia Suite at the or, or in the River Suite at the Corinthia Hotel in London. But the PMO, hmm, they're still not talking. Neither is Global Affairs Canada. So we're we're still playing the waiting game, and uh, I was reading through your article, and the the room service is quite costly as well. It's not just a, a massive suite that costs a lot. Room service is a uh, whoof. Well, so this place comes with what the hotel describes as a complimentary butler. Let me be clear: if you're spending six thousand dollars a night for five <laughs> nights, that's thirty thousand dollars. I'm quite sure that you're paying for the butler, uh, as well as the marble bathroom with underfloor heating and a bathtub with a built-in TV and a separate rain shower. You know, th there was one MP you could hear when the Prime Minister was getting up to answer Pierre Polyev's question. There was one MP you could hear that yelled out, that's a lot of orange juice. Mm -hmm. Because if you remember that the Conservatives um, had to defend and the Liberals were outraged when former uh, Conservative Cabinet Minister Bev Oda um, ordered a $16 orange juice to her room with her breakfast uh, in 2012. Well, the initial defense that I got of this from Trudeau's PMO was, well, look at these expensive trips Harper took in 2012. Do you guys really want to go back to 2012 when you were screaming about $6,000 orange juice? They literally raised it dozens of times. The current House leader, Kevin Lamoureux, described it as abusive taxpayer dollars. Ralph Goodale, who is currently the High Commissioner in London and would have helped arrange for these hotel rooms, um, described it in similar terms. So 
they don't have a good defense. They know they don't have a good defense of this, which is why I think they're refusing to say that it's the prime minister. So after three days of asking, is this your guy staying in the room? I said, do you want me to tell Canadian taxpayers that it was Sandra O oh that you put up in a $6,000 a night hotel room? <laughs> because the Grey's Anatomy uh, actress was on the trip. Like, of course, it's got to be the PM. If it wasn't the governor general, it's got to be the PM or it's something even worse. They wouldn't even respond to that. They, they wouldn't deny anything. You know, I asked them, are you going to deny that this is the prime minister? I asked them several questions directly. They just stopped answering once I had the information that it wasn't the governor general. So that tells us that it was the PM. And, and it tells us also, like, I've, I've spoken to people who've worked in conservative and liberal governments. And they, they, they all groan when I raise this story. And they said, this isn't supposed to happen. There are, you know, efforts that both parties, when they're in government, make. And that includes... Somebody who will say to the bureaucrats, okay, you got the hotel room? All right, let's, what, what are the costs? Is this the best we can do? Um, wait a minute. No, there's one room for $6,000. We're not doing that. Um, and, and then if that does happen, you find a way to make sure that the itemized bill from the Corinthia Hotel isn't sent to Brian Lilly. <laughs> yeah, that's, that's certainly an issue. Brian, we'll have to leave it there as we're out of time. Appreciate your time this morning. Thanks for covering this story. It's an interesting one. Thank you. Brian Lilly, columnist with the Toronto Sun. Yeah, $6,000 a night hotel room. Must have been a sweet stay. The total cost of the trip, $400,000. Wow. I understand a lot of individuals had to represent the nation at the funeral, but 6000 a night? Wasn't there a Super 8 somewhere? You're listening to the Good Morning Hamilton podcast from 900 CHML. Latest edition of our JFE Soji Power Canada five-part series. And today we're focusing on some important issues, including the global supply chain and inflation. How are these two uh, monoliths in our economy right now impacting the electrical infrastructure in this country? And how is JFE Soji Power Canada uh, stick handling around these two issues. Lauren Solomon is the Director of Supply Chain and Purchasing at JFE Soji Power Canada and joins us now on Good Morning Hamilton. Lauren, good morning. How are you? Good morning. Uh, I'm good. Thank you. Are you in charge of making sure that JFE Soji is everything it needs to do what it does? Is this your, is this your, uh, uh, on your business card? Yeah, it should be. But in essence, yes, that is uh, the focus day in and day out is to make sure that we have what we need in the right quantities at the right time and, you know, at the at the best possible price where possible. I can imagine going through what we've been through, especially over the last couple of years, this has been extremely challenging. <laughs> yeah, I think that's um, putting it lightly. I think uh when, when I see people as we've been able to start traveling again more recently and and you uh, see colleagues and they say, oh, so supply chain, it's treated you well over the last little bit. It's been a significant challenge, but we have a we have a really good team and and we've focused on, you know, doing everything that we can and uh, to make sure that we have the materials that we need. And uh, sometimes uh that's, that's been significantly challenging for the business. So how in particular has it impacted JFC Soji? Were there certain items you couldn't get? Did you have to press pause on some areas of the business, uh, accelerate others? H how did you get through it? 
So I think there are a couple of things. I think um, on our raw material side, there is no domestic producer in Canada. So we have had to rely on, you know, global uh, steel mills to support our business. And when, you know, businesses are challenged just to get material out and then you have to rely on ocean freight and trucking, which have also been in the news as a significant challenge. It's important to have uh, a, a supply chain that's really diversified and, and have multiple partners on, on your key supplies. So on the on the raw material side of things with our steel mills, there's been a lot of engagement and and um communication to ensure that we're anticipating delays and, and we're getting what we need uh, when we need it. Obviously, there have been some other uh, items that have been in the news in terms of electronic components, which lead times have increased significantly. So it's really just been an all hands on deck approach to think outside of the box in terms of what do we have on order? Where are the gaps? and anticipating challenges as opposed to when they're right in front of you and you're kind of reacting. Our team's done a really good job of, you know, developing multiple supply routes as opposed to just relying on the one that we're most comfortable with that, you know, may have some disruption through no one's fault. You mentioned the term global steel mills. We have two uh, huge steel companies in Hamilton with Stelco and ArcelorMittal to Fasco. Do they just produce a different kind of steel that you don't need? That's correct. Uh, JFE Soji Power Canada buys electrical steel. Uh, there is only one domestic or one producer of electrical steel in North America. Therefore, we rely on Europe and Asia uh, to support our business. Uh, the local mills uh, do not make electrical steel, although many years ago uh, when they were DeFasco, there was an attempt at electrical steel. But it is a highly engineered uh, product that is uh, not easily accessible uh, in North America today. Uh, in 2016, uh, one steel mill exited the market. So uh, we have been left in North America with only uh, one supplier. It's the latest in our JFE Soji Power Canada 5 part series as we analyze the global supply chain and how inflation has impacted what is happening in this nation when it comes to electrical infrastructure. And our guest is Lauren Solomon, the Director of Supply Chain and Purchasing at JFE Soji Power Canada. Uh, let's let's move to inflation because we as consumers are affected by this. Many businesses are obviously impacted as well. What's the impact with JFE Soji? Uh, I think like most businesses, we've obviously been impacted. A lot of our costs have gone up. Um, you know, managing our borrowings and cash is, is always a challenge, turning inventory into cash and, you know, managing with our clients and suppliers proactively as much as possible to anticipate changes in, in costs and, and the structure of, of things that are influencing how we are able to support the market. Um, so, you know, I work closely with our sales team to make sure that they are armed with all of the information they need, whether it's, you know, transportation or raw materials or, you know, even banking arrangements to be able to uh, work together with our clients um, as prices have gone up faster than we have really ever been accustomed to. So it's there's been a lot of communication and, and tough conversations, but 
you know, arming each other with information and, and support. We've been successful in, in working with our clients and suppliers to manage through all of uh, these types of changes. Exciting times ahead for sure at JFE, <laughs> JFE Soji Power Canada. You can get more information online, jfesojipower.com, and Soji is S-H-O-J-I, power.com. Lauren, really appreciate your time today. Fascinating stuff. Thanks for your time today. Thank you. I appreciate the opportunity to uh, share with the audience uh, some of the challenges and and how we've uh, successfully navigated them. You're listening to the Good Morning Hamilton podcast from 900 CHML. And it was not surprising when Virgin Australia recently did a poll of its passengers and found that only 1.1% of them would voluntarily choose the middle seat. So they say... Or they said, hey, we got to change this. we got to get more people in the middle seat. How do we do so? Well, let's offer nearly $200,000 in prizes to people who are willing to sit in the middle seat on a flight. So until next April, the airline is going to have a weekly raffle exclusively for passengers who choose to sit in the middle seat. It was launched um, just a, a few days ago. Prizes include a six-night cruise of the Caribbean, flights, hotel and vacation packages, tickets to sporting events, custom arts, even a helicopter pub crawl. How cool is that? Kaylee Elaine is an editor, journalist, and media consultant and a travel specialist boot and joins us now on Good Morning Hamilton. Kaylee, good morning. How are you? Good. How are you? I'm okay. What are your, uh, what are your thoughts on this campaign by Virgin Australia? I love that it's buzzy and it's a fun thing to read. But for me personally, the middle seat is just not worth it. <laughs> no love for the middle seat. Why not? You know what? Unless you're traveling with people who you know who are on either side of you, the middle seat is just unbearable when it comes to, you know, finding a place to fall asleep, knowing what your arms, you know, always being in a transit zone. Um, and unless it's like, you know, a very, very short flight, let's say, from Toronto to New York or Toronto to Montreal, I could not do the middle seat. I'd much rather the window seat, so I'm with the 70% there that you pulled. Would it be more, uh, I don't know, incentivizing, I guess, for airlines to offer the middle seat at a very drastically reduced price? That would be an incentive. Or instead of it being this draw where only, like, you know, one passenger wins a week, potentially giving passengers an extra incentive. So whether that be like a little drink or a consolation prize for okay. having to be curled up in a ball for multiple hours. <laughs> Do you have a middle seat horror story? Oh, I've definitely been stuck in the middle seat on long haul flights, whether that's like to Europe. Um, you know, it's always that awkward gamble of like, you know, who am I going to be sat beside? Um, when I voluntarily choose the middle seat, it's usually from traveling with uh, a child and then I'll give them the window and I'll be that kind of buffer with the stranger but at least you know you're getting the armrest because you're traveling with a child that, that um, you know and that you, you know you can kind of spill over into their seat a little bit if you need to be a bit more comfortable. Our guest on Good Morning Hamilton on 900 CHML, Kelly Aline, editor, journalist, media consultant. We're talking about the middle seat on flights. It's also our poll question of the day at AM 900 CHML and on Twitter. And you can also text us. Be sure to use your first name when you're doing so. 905-645-3221. Some of the texts that we got in, they're all saying window seat, but two of them stood out to me. Jeff wrote, window seat for flights over two hours, aisle for shorter flights. And Steve probably is the best answer of the day. Any seat will do as long as I'm going somewhere nice and warm. Oh, I like Steve. He's got a good outlook. <laughs> 
Um, higher inflation, we know that is an impact on all our lives. Is it impacting the travel industry as well? Yeah, you know, I was just looking at hotels in Toronto for a vacation, and they've definitely gone up drastically since last year. And I think we're seeing, you know, whether it's in inflation, a bit of a recovery for the travel industry, that prices are fluctuating. But there are ways to get around it. You know, there's um, really good apps like Hotel Tonight if you're looking for a last-minute booking. You can still find, like, tour groups on Groupon and other um, orders, I guess, <laughs> area or websites that give you a little bit of a discount and you can you know redeem your hotel points whether that's um looking at the ones that you're accumulating and the ones you're getting off your credit card for travel so it makes it a little bit easier as well it also sounds like more people are probably going to decide to spend their vacation time closer to home which is not a bad thing yeah and then there's ontario staycation tax credit for that as well I'm a huge ab- um, advocate for off-season travel because even with travel inflation, you sometimes get two-for-one discounts or a little bit money off your trip just for dealing with like weather that might not be as sunny as the summer. And is now a good time to, to do that? Yeah. You know, if you're going to go to Europe, if you look at now, right before the Christmas market season, you probably get a little bit of a discount or even... Um, traveling to Europe in January and February when people are kind of back to school and maybe not thinking about it, you'll get a little bit of a discount. So you're really just looking at what are the peak periods people are traveling places and then finding the opposite one. <laughs> <laughs> Great tips. Kaylee, really appreciate your time and uh, and the tips to boot as well. Thanks for joining us. Yeah, thank you for having me. That's Kelly Aline, editor, journalist, media consultant. She knows her way around the tourism industry, that is for sure. Back to Virgin Australia just for a second. Eligible contestants in this weekly raffle, again, they're offering nearly $200,000 in prizes to people who are willing to sit in a middle seat on a flight. Eligible contestants must be a member of the company's Velocity Frequent Flyer Loyalty Program and have the Virgin Australia app downloaded to their phone or tablet. There's always a catch, isn't there? There's always a catch. Thanks for listening to the Good Morning Hamilton podcast. You can listen to the show live weekday mornings from 530 to 9 on 900 CHML and online at 900CHML.com. The Good Morning Hamilton podcast is available on Apple Podcast, Google Podcast, and wherever you get your favorite podcast. I'm Rick Samprin. Thanks again for listening. And don't forget to subscribe to the podcast. It's free so you never miss an episode. And make sure you rate and review.